called it Pentecost. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. And just like J. Dwight Pentecost was one of a kind, so the day of Pentecost is one of a kind. There will never be another day of Pentecost. It's unrepeatable. It happened only one time in New Testament and church history. Will there be more revivals? Absolutely. There was the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening. I hope in my lifetime we see a Third Great Awakening. Will Pentecost ever happen again? No, never, and for good reason. It was inaugural. Not only is it unrepeatable, it's inaugural. It's a new era. It's a new dispensation, if you will which had a purpose. It was not only inaugural, it was purposeful to fulfill the promises of God and to empower the people of God. That this was something new. This was groundbreaking. If we're dealing with the uh, illustration of construction, building God's kingdom here, this is breaking ground. It's to do something new that's never been done before. And you only break ground once. On a building, And so what's happening now is as you would break ground on a new building, here the Spirit is breaking in on planet Earth and the world would never be the same. Life with God as you and I know it is because of that day. We have, those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have the Holy Spirit within us, literally the third person of the Trinity inside us is because of this day. And this is the chapter that deals with Pentecost. Before we get there, I do want to review. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, I've given you works in progress, and I wanted to show you how um, they come about. But first, the theme of the book, the acts of a sovereign God. There's God the Father. Through the ministry of his only son, there's Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, there's the third person of the Trinity in the mission of his chosen people, that is the church. We're, here's where God and the church work together to bring the gospel to planet earth. And each week we've been giving you two things. I wanted to show you the works in progress all deal with knowing something and doing something. And you'll see where I get that, especially today in this chapter. The first week it was get caught up in the story, get caught up in God's story. And the second is get involved in Jesus's community. Uh, The second week I said, understand the blueprint, understand the blueprint, this, this thing called the church and start to build his kingdom here, that it's not something you have to wait on every day, every moment, your entire life, how you, uh, how you are as an individual, how you relate to your mate, how you relate as a family, how we relate as a church, and how we relate to the world. We're building God's kingdom for better or for worse. And each one of these uh, is we know something and we do it. And, and last week it was very important that we recognize our importance We are absolutely important. Every single person is important. You wouldn't have been created had you not been important and you're insignificant. That Matthias was chosen. He was the 12th apostle. He signified the conclusion and the unity and we never hear from him again. And that we should also, just like the early church did, plan diligently trusting God's providence. In chapter one, if we were to look at God, uh, you would see that Jesus went up And in chapter 2, you're going to see the Spirit comes down. The summary of Acts 1 is this. Luke is showing Theophilus the ongoing ministry of Jesus. That is, in verse 1, it says, All that he began to do and teach through the Spirit-empowered mission by his devoted and chosen people until Jesus comes again. 
And I want to give you the summary of chapter 2 up front because there's so much in this chapter. But I think it can be summarized in four short phrases that capture all the verses. When the Spirit of God moves and the Scriptures are preached, souls are saved and the church is built. That is the summary of chapter 2. All that's in here, though, look at all that we get to deal with today. 1 through 13, you get to deal with the phenomenon of tongues. We'll talk about that. We get to deal with the fulfillment of prophecy. Aren't those two things that just hang in people's heads? Oh, how is he going to deal with tongues and how are we going to deal with prophecy? And then the function of repentance and baptism and the formation of a new community. All today. So, we're going to have an African service here. It's 1047. My son's got a game at 515. We need to leave at 4 o'clock. So that puts us at, I got 5 hours and 15 minutes. We're going to wrap it up in about 45. And you'll see why. Because the idea of tongues and prophecy, my friends, are level 3 issues. Here we've been studying in Sunday school the level 1 issues. These are things we would die for. These are things like the the absolute authority of God's word, the, the, the existence of God as Trinity, Jesus Christ in his full humanity and deity, his sacrificial atonement on the cross for our sins. It was substitutionary that you and I deserve to die, but he died in our place. And that, that you receive that forgiveness by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. I will die for those. I will grab a hold and I will have a closed fist on all of those. I will argue and debate and get red in the face and grit my teeth on those things. And everything else, we got an open hand. Level two issues. That may cause us to go separate directions. That, that would be, uh, if you really believe uh, in, in you know, uh, something other than the church government we have, ours is elder rule. If you believe in something other than that, or if you really believe that baptism is not just for the believer, but other things, and you think it ought to be a necessary part of the church, that's okay. And I'm going to hold that with an open hand, and we may have to fellowship differently. But that's a level two issue. And level three are the gifts of the Spirit in the end times. They're there, and they remain there. We will talk about them in Sunday school. You can take me to Yeti's and buy me a tall uh, Almond Joy latte and a burrito if you're feeling rather gracious. And I'll eat it. And we'll open this Bible. And you'll open your Bible. And we'll talk all day. I'll spend all day with you talking about tongues and signs and wonders and all those things. We'll talk about the end times, pre-trib, post-trib, ah-mill, pre-mill, post-mill. You know, the pan theory, it'll all pan out. Whatever. Those are third level issues. Too many people raise those to almost to level one issues. I'll just say it to you like this. I believe tongues and fulfillment of prophecy is a third level issue, and I'm going to keep it there. I will address it as each passage comes up. But if you want to make it a level two issue, that's where where we're we're just going to disagree. I'm not bringing it up to a level two issue. I, I want... I want Baptists and Presbyterians and all sorts of charismatics and everybody to be able to attend here, but it's going to be a level three issue. We're not going to escalate it to where some people make it. And I'll show you why from the text. 
But the level one issue, the one issue that we have to deal with that I will die for is repentance. Obviously, there's even issues on baptism. Do you, should you do infant baptism or believer's baptism? And, and those are serious things that we should talk about. But the one thing is repentance in the name of Jesus. I'm willing to die for that one. And then we'll get to the foundation of a new community, but that's more of a teaser for next week. More on that in a minute. Let's begin in verse 1. Actually, let's not begin in verse 1. Let's set the context, right? Let's begin in Numbers eleven twenty nine. Looky here. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses, in the law, said, Oh, I wish that God would send his spirit to all people so that they all could prophesy, not just not any longer foretelling of things that make Scripture, but foretelling the truth that is contained in Scripture, Moses said that in the law. And then Isaiah says in 32.15, Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and from the wilderness becomes a fruit fulfilled, and the fruit fulfilled is deemed a forest, that this Spirit will pour out, and this field will become this forest. In Ezekiel 36.27, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. I will, this is a promise from God the Father to there to uh, Ezekiel all the way down to us. I will put my spirit within you. That's why I can say with confidence, the third person of the Trinity lives within me. And notice this, that God the Father said, I, and he, and he, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Am I responsible for my actions? Absolutely. Am I guaranteed if I walk by the power of the Spirit, I will fulfill those? Absolutely. And that gives me great hope. All of that is the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. And now we arrive at Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, I like how he said that, Pentecost. When the day arrived, what had been anticipated, as you saw in just briefly in those three verses, I could take you through many, many more, but we have not the time. We live in America, not in Africa. What, when the day of a Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. There's discussion, is the they the 11 apostles, verse 126, or is it the 120 who are gathered in verse 115? I think it's the 120 who are gathered because you're going to need a lot of people speaking in known languages to make a lot of commotion. So everybody goes, what's going on over there? And suddenly there came from heaven a sound. You're going to see three things, three phenomenon. Three miraculous things here. A sound. Notice what it says here. Like a mighty rushing wind. Like. It's a key word. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as. Another key word. Like an as. Simile and metaphor. As of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so we move from Passover where Jesus uh, was with his disciples and it was the last, the, the last Supper and he dies and he's resurrected. And 50 days later, we come to Pentecost. It's in the, it happens to be in the middle of the three feasts where there were Jews coming from across the world. They were coming from all parts of the world into Jerusalem to participate in the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of First Fruits, if you will. Hmm. Random? I think not. And you see three things, a sound like a wind, sight as of fire and speaking in tongues, all signs of God's presence, 
all descriptions or manifestations of the Spirit. These are not how the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit isn't this conglomeration of a dove and a wind and a fire or some weird thing. The Holy Spirit is a person, but he manifested himself. So he's not like the wonder twin powers deactivate. Don't do that with the Holy Spirit. He is a person and we relate to him. The sound like a wind. Have you ever been in a place where you hear the bombers going flying overhead and literally everybody in your house, at least this is what happens at my house, everybody sprints outside. We could be doing, I don't know, we could be having an important meeting about Ashley, Luke, Lauren Lawson. I'm going to talk to you about the millions I'm giving ready to give you as an inheritance. It's a bomber. And we're outside and we're watching because that's loud and it just shakes the house. I remember when we were in our old in house in Denton, the shuttle explosion, it exploded over Texas. It shook the house and we're like, what is that sound? And we had to go out and see. Or when I lived in Texas and Oklahoma growing up, there was that sound. And maybe this is the closest to we get it of a tornado. I remember when Lauren was two, Ashley's like, what do we do? She, you know, what do we do? And I'm like, we're just going to watch the news and we, if we have to, we jump in the tub with pillows and stuff with the baby. Do I, should I wake her up? Nah, not right now. This too shall pass. And, and praise the Lord, no tornado came, but it was just one of those, you just, the wind was howling. And I think that's what you have going on here. The spirit descends upon the people. God comes down. Jesus went up in the ascension as if they were all in awe. And now he comes down. Hebrews 12, 18 and 19 captures this whole Old Testament idea of wind and fire and speaking here. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, darkness and gloom, a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. That is a great summary of what's happening here in Acts 2. God shows up. This was an earthly phenomenon of a heaven reality where the believers must live out Hebrews eleven six. There is a God who exists and he rewards those who pursue him. And so this, this happens. The third person of the Trinity comes upon his chosen people. And in verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And you have to take that into consideration. When, when Luke uses every nation, nation, that's his horizon, that's not ours. And so he said, well, I don't see the, the uh, uh, Texans in that list of names to follow. Well, how could the Bible be true? Luke is using uh, his parameters. And so where he, from where he's sitting, this is men from every nation. And at the sound of this... At the sound of this spirit coming upon his people, the multitude came together. So you have the 120 gathered and there are people who are hearing, they're saying, what's going on? And so they're all coming to see what's going on. And when they show up, they were bewildered. Why? Because each one was hearing them speak, key phrase, in his own language. They were They were hearing him speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? 
And how is it we hear each one in his own native language? You don't need to turn there, but why would they make reference to the Galileans? Because later on in Acts, and we'll deal more with it here, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, the Galileans, and perceived that they were, and here's the key phrase, uneducated common men, back to Acts 2, here's, here's another way to interpret this. They were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all those speaking uneducated and common men? Ain't that the guy that was from Texas? I'm from Texas. I can do that. I can pick on my own. That's what they're saying. And each one was hearing them in their own native language. Now, hold on, and you'll see what they were hearing. It's not gibberish. It's not ecstatic ecstatic utterances. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, were hearing them telling in their own language the mighty works of God. That is very clear of what tongues are. Tongues are the supernatural ability of one uneducated to speak known languages to preach the mighty works of God. So if we were gathered in Africa today and suddenly there came upon me and I was speaking in Swahili the beautiful gospel and they were like, what is going on here? He's from Colorado. I heard Texas, and I heard he's even from Oklahoma. That's where he was born. And he's speaking fluently in my own language, this thing in these mighty works of God. I mean, he's talking about uh, Joel, and he's talking about Psalms. and What's going on here? That is the Acts 2 description of tongues. So much so that all were amazed and perplexed and saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. And so when the Spirit comes upon His people and they proclaim the gospel, there are only two responses. Faith seeking understanding? What does this mean? I want to hear more about what these people are saying in my own known language, or, oh, they're just drunk. They're just drunk. And so the miracle of Pentecost underscores the message of salvation of which Peter is going to give right now. And so I want to talk to you about Peter's sermon, because this is the first big group setting outside, we'll call it an evangelistic sermon, that Peter gives when people ask, what does this mean? And look what he says. Uh, the next slide should be a, a hand, uh, an outline. Yes, an outline of Peter's sermon. And so if it's in blue, that means there's just the cultural observation. This is Peter observing what went on in 1 through 13. And then he's going to make a biblical connection. He, the Bible, God's word is necessary to let the world know what's going on. Amen. And then he's going to make a gospel concentration. There's going to be this focus. He's going to start with Joel and he's going to move into Jesus. 
And then he's going to do some expository preaching. He's actually going to explain the verses. Sound familiar? (laughs) There are different approaches to expository preaching. You can do similar to what I'm doing here, verse by verse through books of the Bible, which is what we see if we were to go back to Nehemiah 8, and that is the safest way to go. If any of you young men are out there and aspiring to be a pastor, I would say, Preach verse by verse through books of the Bible every now and then do a topical sermon and then repent for how you didn't handle the text. Well, I'm serious. It's not an easy task to do topical sermons. It's hard to do. Honestly, I'm not up here going verse by verse through the book of Acts because I, it's, and it's not because I just work one hour a week. It, it's just easier for me to know, okay, last week I did 15 through 26. Okay, to this week we'll see how far we can get. It's, it's not rocket science. Topical sermons are hard to do, but guess what? Peter does a topical sermon because Peter's an apostle and he's, you know, he's got things that I don't have. And so here's what he does. It's not a commentary. That's, a, that's often where we get into trouble is we, you, you want commentary. It's not commentary from the pulpit. That's left for Sunday school. And he's going to use, like he did last week, several Old Testament texts and come up with a main point that God raised Jesus from the dead. He now sits at his right hand where Jesus is the mediator of God's promised salvation through the gift of the Spirit. And his pre- he's preaching in such a way, now I was not there, you were not there, but we can assume that this was neither fluffy nor harsh. This was neither soft on doctrine nor was it uh, without love. But he preaches in such a way with such confidence that it warranted a response that they say, what does this mean? And in the end, they're going to say, what must I do? And so he begins. Verse 14 is really the context. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice. And so Peter, the 11 come. There's a multitude of people out there. He lifts up his voice because there were no sweet Garth Brook mics back then. And he addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. By the way, do we have a map? Did I skip a map? I want to show you where all who dwell in Jerusalem. This is where they came. That did come out clear. I was wondering about that. So you get all those in the big bowl. That's where they were coming from. They descend upon Jerusalem. They were coming to the feast, and God ordained it. As they were there for the feast, the Spirit comes down, and they speak in tongues. And now Peter stands up, and he says, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And I love what he says here. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. And here's his reason. Now, I would have said, that is the Holy Spirit coming down on these people and they're speaking in known languages and you're hearing them and you're hearing the mighty works of God proclaimed to you. But he says, since it's the only the third hour of the day, that's always kind of been intriguing to me. Like what if the Spirit would have come at the ninth hour of the day? They aren't, but maybe they are. I don't know. You get it? They thought they were drunk. And Peter says, no, they are not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Nobody's drunk at this time of day. And here's what he says, and this is key. But this, this is a key phrase in this whole passage. But this, this that you are experiencing, this, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the 120 who are speaking in known languages so that you're hearing the mighty works of God preached in your own tongues. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
He is speaking about the experience of Pentecost. He is not looking back to the cross, nor is he looking forward to the end times. Though he will make some, uh, though in the further reading, we can see there is some uh, demarcation of the two. And this is what he says of Joel. And in the last days, notice, from the very beginning of the church, they've called it the last days. This is why I never get too worked up when there's an eruption of something in the Middle East because we've been in the last days for a long, long time. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is is what he did. And he poured out his spirit on all flesh. This does not mean the Holy Spirit is in animals. That's not what this is. Context will show you what this means. It does not mean that somehow all humans have a little piece of the Holy Spirit. That's not true. Romans 9 will tell you. I'll show you this in just a second. If we can get to Romans 8, verse 9, you will see it there. That if you do not have the Holy Spirit within you, you are not a believer. You, however, are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. You have to have the Spirit that's sent from Jesus inside of us. So when He says that I will pour my Spirit on all flesh, that doesn't mean all humans or animals. What does it mean? Context all types of people. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy the young. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. And so what he's saying here is the Holy Spirit will come upon all kinds of people. They are not just going to the rich. They're not just going to the educated. They're not, he's not just going to certain people. God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. In those days I will pour out My Spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below. Context. What signs are you going to see? Blood and fire and vapor and smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. All of that before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. And here's the key to Joel. See, I, I even at seminary, we wanted to go in and start to, to divide up all of Joel 2 here. And get, oh, I think it means this. I think it means that. And we were taking a level 3 issue, and we're going to make it as a level 1, and I'm going to fight with you, and we're, we're going to be so disunified. People are going to say, you guys love Jesus and go to the same church? That's weird. Everyone, the point he's saying is the Spirit shall... Whoa. The Spirit shall come upon all types of people. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see this in Romans 10, 1 through 4. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them, the Jew, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so Peter is going to make a connection here to Jesus here in a few verses, similar to what Paul does here. And he's saying, to my Jewish friends, they need to see that Jesus is the end of everything in their Old Testament. And then he goes on in 9 through 13 of Romans to say, this is how anyone can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. In 9 through 13, is that up there? It's not. 
so that when, when just a little side note, when the verses aren't up there, you just turn to them in your Bible. That's fascinating. Romans 10, 9 through 13, because of this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And a lot of people want to get into, and, and here's what we want to do. I've still got four hours and 15 minutes. We want to take what was preached by Peter in Acts 2. We've already discussed tongues being known languages, and we want to mix that with 1 Corinthians 14 and try to come up with this weird theology of signs and wonders. And that's just not what's going on. Because Acts 2, we are only told of one, tongues. And tongues equals, if you go to the Greek, and you read it in the Greek, the Greek definition is known language. Glossolalia and dialecte both mean known language. And Luke says in Acts, it's a known language. And so that's all that Peter's making reference to here. This, what you heard, is a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, and he says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What he's showing you there is what I'd love to see. What I love to see is that the Spirit who led our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is now within us. Jesus Christ, who was led by the Spirit, is now in us. And so he says in 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. I love this. That God did through him, who has always been the miracle worker. God the Father worked through Jesus Christ, his son. In your midst, as you yourselves know, saying, men of Israel, you saw these works. You saw him feed 5,000. You saw him come back and feed 4,000. You saw him uh, heal a woman with, with a, a sickness and an illness on the inside of her. You saw him open the eyes of the blind. This is the Jesus whom you saw. This Jesus, now here's another thing. I didn't even put this on the topics we have to handle today. Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. If you have a New American Standard, I think it says the predetermined plan of God. This Jesus who was delivered up according to the predetermined plan of God. That means, when it means predetermined, that means it's determined pre. It's, it's, right? That's just good how you take words and just reverse them and then you sound so eloquent. That means God had determined prior to all of this happening. So much so that Paul says in Ephesians 1, 4, you were chosen in him, Jesus, before the foundations of the world, that blows me away, still blows me away. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. A lot of people always ask, is God sovereign or am I responsible? Yes. You crucified by the hands of lawless men. Notice what the greatest miracle of all, verse 24 if you want to memorize four words in the Bible, I'll even give you, give you the whole verse. God raised him up. Amen? I don't need any other miracle ever. You don't either. God raised him up. That's all you need. 
if you and I never see another miracle again, and they do happen, if we never see him again, those four words should comfort you. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he gives another Old Testament connection. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, and my flesh also will dwell with hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let my Holy One see, let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. God is the one working behind the scenes. God raised Jesus from the dead. You see Jesus' life, the mighty works and wonders that God did through him. You see his death. He was delivered up according to God's predetermined plan, and God raised him up. He is alive, and he is living today. Happy Easter. God is at work in and through and sometimes against man's responsibility. And I think, personally, there is a logic to it. So, when the question is asked, is God asked, is God sovereign or am I responsible? What about predestination and human will? I say, is God sovereign or am I responsible? Yes. Is there such a thing as predestination? Yes. The Bible talks about it. Is there such a thing as human will? Yes. The Bible talks about it. But I think there is a logic to it. And I would encourage you to think about this sentence because I think it's the best representation of the logic of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. It takes into account, in my opinion, it takes into account all the verses. So we can't just lay our verses out here and do, I've got 21 bullet points here and I've got 18 here, so this must be more than that. No, no, no. Uh, Well, I'm getting 36 here and I've got 37. They're about even. No. There's a logic to it. And here it goes. God's sovereignty. You always begin with God. It's safe, safe. God's sovereignty precedes and enables That means it comes before and empowers man's responsibility. And here's where you just have to take it by faith. Without removing culpability. Culpability means you and I are responsible for it and there are consequences. And all of this to his glory. I think that is the best summation of that main point there where he says, this Jesus who was delivered up according to God's predetermined plan, you put to death. And he's going to say it again here in just a minute. Verse 29, he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, now he is talking, now he is doing some expository preaching. Notice, he is not going to go verse by verse through Psalm 16, 8 through 11. He's not even going to go verse by verse through Joel 2. He's going to talk about those two, throw one more verse on there, and move on to his final point. And if I, you know one day, get to see Peter say, that was a very good topical sermon. I went verse by verse, but you did good topical work. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence, notice how he preaches. He doesn't preach like, "Eh, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe God still works today. Maybe, I don't know. Was was this Adam guy really, I mean, was he really, I mean, it could just be a fable. This is just a helpful Jesus of history, Christ of faith. I mean, as long as you feel good, That's all I wanted to do from the pulpit. That's not what he does. He says, brothers, I'm confident about the patriarch David that both he died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. You can go see it. But being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set 
one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not to be abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. That is Peter's explanation of Psalm 16, which is verses 25 through 28 of Acts 2. Notice he didn't dissect every word. This Jesus, God raised up, of all that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. That is all he gives to Joel too. And I can't tell you how many countless hours I discussed with buddies about what Joel 2 is. I personally think, if you were to look back at Acts 2, 17 through 21, I personally think 17 and 18, Peter was saying, that is what you're seeing now. I will pour out my spirit. That's what it, and then he will show signs and wonders in heavens above on the earth below. And what are they? Blood and fire, vapor and smoke. That hasn't happened yet. And you can't go back to the cross because Peter's not talking about the cross. He's talking about Pentecost. But I think 1920 is what's to come. And if you go to Revelation, I believe you can match that up where you see blood and vapors of smoke and the sun turned to darkness. I don't think he's looking back to the cross. Some people want to say that, oh, that was fulfilled. And they, we try to get all this fulfilled and neat and tidy. I just think 17 and 18 seems to be that, that God the Father, through Jesus Christ the Son, is pouring out his Holy Spirit on all kinds of flesh in 18 through 21, one day before, because notice what it says, and these will be before the day of the Lord comes, that when you see, if we walk out of here and there's blood and that kind of stuff in the, in the heavens, wow, I don't think we'll be here, but if that happens, I'll change my theology on that because that's a third tier issue. Notice he didn't dissect every word, and we get in here and we get nuts about doing these things, and, and, and I'm just like, let's just... What's the big picture? Notice what he does too. He adds one more psalm in there as if to, hey, if you hadn't had enough. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Who's sitting at the right hand of God? It is Jesus. He upholds the world by the word of his power. He prays for us every day. And he's coming back. When is he coming back? I don't know. I have a theory. It's in the Bible. But I don't know. But I do know he's coming back. And that's about all I want to preach on that. Now in Sunday schools, we can debate, I'm pre-trib, I'm post-trib, I'm rawr. All right. I won't tell you what I am because then you're like, it's a whole church. It's a third tier issue. Okay, we'll keep it there. Peter knew his Old Testament. He combined Psalm 110, Psalm 16, and Joel 2 together to say, this is what you're seeing. And he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He said it twice. He said it towards the end. He was trying to, in my humble opinion, I think he's trying to to, uh, convict them with his words. How do I know that? Because look at their response. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. You don't have to tell me. It just It's a question for your own soul. Have you ever walked out of this 
gym, this sanctuary, this, this time together, cut to the heart. If, I hope you have. Not like, like I was rude and, and mean, and if I have been, please forgive me, and if, if that's still dwelling on you sometime, please let's be reconciled. But I, I, would, I would need to really consider my preaching if after five years you've never walked out of here cut to the heart. Not because of my preaching, but by the Spirit moving through it, right? I am a tool in His hands. Have you ever walked out of here cut to the heart? Walked out of here going, you say your pleasantries, good to see you, Mick, good to see you, Jenny. I, I've really got to go home and wrestle this. Because I think the Lord just spoke through His, his sinful servant today because He spoke the truth of God's Word. Does that happen? Because if it hasn't, either I'm not preaching with conviction and confidence like Peter, or you're not receiving it with a humble heart, or we both are doing what we're supposed to do and God's just not moving. But after five years, I hope you've been cut to the heart. I can go online and listen to my favorite pastors and every single time, not because of I'm so sensitive to the Spirit, not because these guys are such great communicators, but I believe that God's Word, every time, almost every time, if I am walking in the power of the Spirit, I can walk away from there and go, man, Dana, i got to do some things differently. That's what God's Word's meant to do. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What you're going to see throughout the book of Acts is you're going to see the Spirit come sometimes, and then they're baptized. Sometimes you're going to see they're baptized, and then the Spirit comes. And so we're going to have to work through those when we get there. But let me give you a summation of it right now. This is a level one issue, at least the idea of repentance. You and I must confess with our mouth and believe in our heart to be saved. That's what Paul said in Romans. We do not have to be baptized to be saved. But, well, no, we do and, because then you forget all the before that. And baptism is of the utmost importance in a believer's life. It is the first act of obedience. It is the public declaration. I am identifying myself with this body of believers. Do you remember? I'm going to use this illustration forever. Remember when we were out at our baptism at Sylvan Lake and there were people not of our church, but they were of the body of Christ and they're coming canoeing by and they go, woohoo, welcome to the family. That was a public declaration. They knew exactly what we were doing. But you take the whole of scripture and it doesn't have to happen. And what happens here, and in most of the theological atrocities out there today, go and we read this one verse. We read it myopically right here. It says it right there in Acts 2.38. I can't see anything else. And then we go form these weird theologies. And it's not what he's doing. If you want to get it broken down, you want to scholarly look at it, it's a chiastic sentence. Repent and be baptized. How are you supposed to be baptized? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that goes with Matthew 28. Repent. 
What are you repenting for? The forgiveness of sins. If you want the technical breakdown, there you have it. For the promise is for you and your children, if they believe. Not Again, we're not going into infant baptism here. And looky here, you and me, all who were far off. Look at it. Look around. You're the far off people. And with many other words, this fascinates me, with many other words. How many other Old Testament illustrations? Did he give some cool illustrations? We don't know. It says, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Wow. I want to be a part of one of those. I don't even have to be the preacher. Maybe I'm just the dude standing up there receiving people. That would be cool. But if it never happens, that's cool too. But there are those who think if there aren't mass conversions going on, something's not happening. And so I want to read to you the last little bit, and then we'll summarize it. And they departed, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, or some translations say every day, They were attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I invite you back here next week. I'm going to show you every big denomination in the world. Right here from those, what is that? Six verses. Because every denomination, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to start with us because we're Bible church. I'm going to start with us. But every denomination, if we're not careful, can make a caricature out of a phrase in these words. And we can hone in on a certain phrase. And we can say, be like us. You'll need to come back next week to get that one. It's going to be good. We're going to have fun. And, you know, some of you are Baptists. I grew up Baptist. My wife grew up Methodist. Some of you grew up Lutheran, Presbyterian, charismatic, uh, whatever. We're going to have just a little fun with the text because we can, be, we can take ourselves too seriously. You'll just need to come back and hear. It's good. But I want you to see something. Look back at verse 12. What does this mean? There's something they needed to know. And then look at 37. What shall we do? Both are needed to get a full understanding and application of the Scriptures. And so our works in progress today follow that model. What what should we know and what should we do? And so today I would say this. Realize... Maybe this is the first time for some of you. The Holy Spirit is the third person. He's not a force. 
not a magnetic field. He is a living person, third person of the Trinity, and he lives inside you if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Get to know him. We're going to get to know him throughout the book of Acts. Daryl Bach, who wrote the commentaries on Luke and Acts, said this could very easily be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. He's all over. So we need to get to know him. And, and we may need to re- repent. And I'm not saying a, Maybe there are some in here who have, don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and you need to bow the knee and say, I need to follow that king who would die for me, who sits at the right hand of God and he took my sins upon the cross and I merely need to believe in him, trust him, and follow what he has told me to do in his Bible. But for most of us, I would assume we know the Lord Jesus Christ and we just need to figure out what is it in our life, where are we falling short, where we need to get right with God, our spouse, our family, so that we can keep in step with the Spirit, so we can walk by His power, so that we don't grieve Him or quench Him. Those are the things we need to do. That seems to be what has happened here to the preached Word. There was a realization that God is present among us. Do you believe that? Let me try that again. God is present among us. Do you believe that? And I know what I need to do. Because when I was there singing these songs, the Spirit, who is alive and active inside of me, convicted me, this is what you need to do today. And if you want to know about it, I'm happy to share it with you after the service. Father, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit. He is good. To convict, to comfort. Oh Lord, we all to some degree long to be at Pentecost. Somehow we think, Lord, that it would make our faith stronger. Yet, Lord, you've recorded it in Scripture and you told Thomas, blessed are you because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe and do not see. Father, give us the open eyes to see you at work in these holy scriptures. Help us to be satisfied in what they show us. Convict us to pray for revivals and awakening. To spend many hours on our knees asking for you to do a great massive work in this valley throughout America, across this hemisphere. You are a God who can do that great thing. And until then, Lord, let us walk with you. For if we walk in the power of the Spirit, we will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. Give us much grace as we go this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Those men.